Hello and welcome back to the One Foot Down podcast. I'm Eric Murtaugh, back as our host. This is our 35th episode. Kind of hard to believe we've been doing podcasts for over a year now. Um, once again, another football season is upon us. That means we'll be previewing the Rice Owls here shortly. Um, towards the end of the podcast, we'll also uh, take a little look at the national landscape and talk about some of the things going around around the rest of the country. But first, um, I wanted to welcome Jamie back to the podcast. Jamie, how you doing? Doing great. Yeah. Welcome back from uh, your time off. Thank you. Uh, that That's a good lead into our first story. Um, some people may not know I got married. I was on my honeymoon for about a week. And um, so I kind of just missed the entirety of this academic investigation. So, uh, you know, I kind of have a funny story to tell. I'm, I don't know, maybe it's three days into our honeymoon, and I think it was at least two days removed from the breaking news of the investigation. And I get out of the shower. And, uh, my wife's sitting on the bed, and she says to me, did you hear the news? And I was like, what news? She said, Golson and Stromboli, they were kicked out of school. And I'm like, who? She says, Golson and Stromboli. Uh, and I was like, who's Stromboli? And obviously she meant Trombetti. She was proud that she got the Italian part of it right <laughs> and the right <laughs> the right yeah. amount of syllables. Yeah. So, I mean, she had me for about a minute there, and then obviously she told me that she was kidding, so I kind of had my heart drop out of my stomach there, because that's like the one thing, you know, I was like, I don't want anything bad to happen while I'm off the grid for this week, and you can uh, only imagine the uh, the look I gave her when we landed in New York City, and I saw the actual news with the investigation, so that was kind of like my whole, you know, story of how I kind of learned about everything, and it's kind of a crappy way to learn about it, but uh, so it goes, I guess, uh, kind of surprised scrolling through the website, um, it's funny, I was, we were in New York kind of you know, going through all the customs and everything and I couldn't get on our website for whatever reason and it wasn't loading, wasn't loading, like, oh, I just want to, I was, I wanted to see the uniforms because that was the one thing I knew that, you know, was the one news story that it would be there and then eventually the site loads and there I see three stories on the academic investigation. I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. So I spent quite a long time uh, catching up on all that news. Um, Anything to add to my crazy story? Um, no, just it was hilarious because, uh, you know, we were all collectively freaking out when the news came uh, came out, and we, uh, I'm sure you, you didn't, I, I hope you didn't read the entire email thread that was going on. Oh, uh, I did. But, <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, you, I think you get a nice little capsule of, kind of how it all went down from the rumors or nobody freak out to people are starting to freak out and, yeah. and this is what's going on and this is what this guy's saying and this media, national media person is saying this and Eric Hansen wrote this in a story and it's just kind of snowballed after that and, uh, you know, everyone was like, wow, you know, great time for uh, Eric to go uh, on his honeymoon. <laughs> Yeah, it was, and it was weird because, you know, I kind of read everything in reverse, kind of just the way it works on Gmail, I guess. And So, like, all of that UNC stuff I read, like, at the end. So I started out reading all this information, and I was like, well, what like, what are they accusing these players of? It was hard to, like, zero in on what the actual, like, probe and investigation was on. So I find that, or I found that kind of uh, frustrating at first. Yeah, and the, the truth is, um, since the time you've been gone to now... Um, 
I mean, obviously the news came out, but we still don't really know all the details, and there's still a lot of unanswered questions. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously frustrating for us who follow or write about the team, but I mean, even more frustrating for those four guys who are involved, and uh, you know, the Notre Dame football program, and just you know, Notre Notre Dame, uh, the institution in general. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit more time on this subject. I uh, just wanted to throw a couple questions your way. You, you wrote a couple articles on the subject. Uh, we'll kind of touch on one of those articles you wrote on the second question here. My first one to you is, you know, just for the sake of this this, this discussion, let's just assume that the four players, those being Kavari Russell, Tavares Daniels, Ishak Williams, and Kendall Moore, let's assume that they're suspended for the whole season. Now, does that put more pressure on the first third of the season when the Irish really need to go 4-0, or so we kind of surmise with the way the schedule breaks out, um, do you think they really need to go 4-0, and does it put more pressure on that beginning of the schedule against, quote-unquote, weaker competition? I think it puts a lot more pressure. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, they're trying to win every game anyways, but uh, from the outside looking in, in terms of uh, if they want to have any, be a part of any part of the conversation, when it comes to making uh, the the playoff this year with the four teams, uh, they obviously they have to run the table there. Uh, the rest of the schedule is just daunting uh, compared with the first four games. And you know, even I mean, not that the first four games they could easily lose any of those games. They're not playing chump change, but uh, when you look at it, that is the by far the easiest third. Uh, of the schedule and four and zero, it's huge. It's huge for them to start fast. Um, let's just go ahead and jump into the second question. You kind of covered this in your article on how you know losing those players potentially would affect the team. Um, maybe just talk a little bit about again who you think the handful of players are that need to step up if um, Russell's, Daniels, and Ishak are suspended. We won't really. We don't really need to talk about Kendall Moore. He's not really in the too deep, but those three starters especially, uh, who needs to step up if they're gone? Well, uh, I mentioned in the article, well, uh, afterwards Kelly uh, mentioned that uh, Rochelle's taking uh, Ishak Williams's place in the starting lineup. Uh, Romeo Aquara, who was beat out by Andrew Trombetti, he's going to be relied on a lot more. Uh, then after that, it's a lot of freshman <laughs> defensive ends. Guys right. that are going to have to have to play, that maybe would have played sparingly, that might be asked to play more. Uh, and I mean, the big thing with defensive end is depth, because if now if Rochelle or Trombetti or Aquara get hurt, you know Notre Dame's in big trouble on the D line. Yeah, you almost have to wonder if they'll be moving some linebackers down there if something like that happened. Yeah, I. I could see Ben Cancel possibly uh, being a guy to uh, to move there, but uh, I mean, you look at some of the other veterans that are there, and Anthony Rubasa. Uh, I, I mean, as a pass rusher, maybe, but he's already really undersized. So you worry about when they're going to play some of the teams like uh, like a Stanford, Florida State, when they play against some of these really physical teams, uh, they're going to be in tough. Um, and as far as uh, um, wide receiver goes, Notre Dame has some good depth at wide mm -hmm. receiver. Uh, it's you know uh, what what I what I said in the article is 
it's uh, potential but not production yet. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot of uh, – it's a little bit of an unknown, but guys who flashed last year and have flashed in the spring. So, uh, you know, immediately replacing Daniels in the starting lineup. Uh, looks like Will Fuller, uh, who's, you know, soft, true sophomore, uh, really fast guy, has a chance to, to step in there. Corey Robinson – uh, you know, obviously a bigger red zone threat type of guy, uh, you know, looking for more consistency out of him and see what he can become. Uh, Torrey Hunter Jr. is someone that, uh, I mean, I wish he didn't get hurt in camp. Uh, it sounds like he's definitely going to miss the Rice game, but maybe we'll be back, you know, week two or three. Uh, he's someone who's really going to need to step up now too and, uh, and fit in there. And then the big thing is Chris Brown who was already had a great camp and they've been raving about how he's performed all camp and uh, how he's become a leader and how uh, he's looks like a number one receiver based on what, what, what they've been saying in camp. And he was actually uh, really performing well against Kavari Russell, who's, you know, was our best corner. And so if Chris Brown, he basically, he has to be that number one guy now because if he isn't, then it's a whole lot of unknowns. So uh, that I mean that that's key for me at, at wide receiver. Yeah, I focused in on Corey Robinson, um, basically just because I, I envisioned, you know, Brown as you said stepping up and being a starter, Carlisle on the slot, or possibly Procise, and I kind of thought Fuller is maybe a little bit ahead of Robinson in terms of being more of a complete receiver. And, really kind of focused in on Robinson now, and I think he's really got to step up and you know, work on different aspects of his game and be a type of player that they can put out there as a starter and you know, do more than just catch some sideline lob passes and fades and stuff like that. So I think he's uh, one of the guys I need to think that really needs to step up. Also, maybe Justin Brent a little bit from the freshman class. What do you think? you think this kind of opens the door for him? It looked like he maybe could have redshirted, but... If we lose Daniels possibly for the whole season, do you think that's still the case? I think he'll definitely play this year if uh, if Daniels is suspended for the whole season. He, you know, early enrollee. Uh, I think he's sounds like he's ahead of Corey Holmes yet. We haven't heard a lot about, but I mean, sometimes too with receivers, sometimes guys get into the mix three, four weeks into the season. So we'll see what happens, but I mean, he's Justin Brent is someone who's physically ready to play right now. So if he can uh, assert himself, then yeah, he could definitely be in that mix with Fuller, Robinson, and, and Hunter for uh, another one of those outside receiver spots. So at corner, now if I'm not mistaken, it was Riggs and Russell. Those are starting corners with Luke uh, as the nickelback, if I have that right. But now if you take Russell out, you have Riggs and Luke as your starting corners which means, I believe, Matthias Farley is your nickel corner. And that's the one player I think that needs to step up. Uh, what do you think about that situation at corner? Yeah, I mean, Farley definitely, which scares me, because I don't think he had a very good spring playing the nickel. And um, I think, too, one of the things uh, with having a Cole Luke um, you know, perform well, and uh, if he could have been came in as the nickel, but... He would play outside, and you you figured Riggs could maybe come in and play the nickel. 
with with Russell on the outside. But now that Russell's gone, Riggs is you know the de facto number one corner now, and, and yeah. likely will have to stay outside. Uh, so unless you know a Devin Butler steps up, uh, it's you know then Farley basically has to play. So Farley. Yeah, that's that's going to be big, definitely. And then the two other guys that I mean don't get don't get mentioned a lot, but Josh Atkinson, who like kind of surprisingly, um, I think you were away, Eric, when this happened. But he apparently had like a couple of lights out practices where he mm-hmm. was performing really, really well. So you know what? He might be a guy who has to play because it's just it's really hard not to play four or five corners in a year, right? Like guys get broken down. And um, so Atkinson and obviously Nick Watkins, uh, the freshman from Texas, he's the other guy who Atkinson and Watkins, both of them are likely going to have to play a little bit this year. Um, you know, hopefully not too much, but um, you know, they're going to be relied upon because where either like either one of them might not have been in the mix before and they still would have had, we still would have had four good corners. Now one of them has to be, the fourth corner in order for us mm. to like kind of get through the season. Yeah, you can see why they're recruiting a lot of corners now. The the depth chart kind of as flimsy as it is right now. Um, you kind of wonder if Watkinson can or Watkins can have a a year that's shaping up the way uh, Drew Burrow Preppers at Michigan is. He's kind of looking to be possibly the starting nickel corner there for the Wolverines. What about Elijah Schumann? I know Brian Kelly talked a little bit about having him play closer to the line of scrimmage and he excelled it as a nickel corner as a freshman and really hasn't seemed to, you know, developed that well as a true safety. He doesn't seem as comfortable there. I wonder if they'll bring him down a little bit and see him at some time at a nickel corner. Yeah, it's, it's that sounds like a good idea to me too. Um, I think as long as Collinsworth uh, can stay healthy because I think he's the next in line after Collinsworth. Uh, at at that one safety spot, so um, yeah, suddenly the depth uh, isn't as impressive as it as it once was, and so you kind of worry about uh, one or two guys going down, and then that changes uh, a lot of uh, the back end. And I think that was the strength of the defense yeah. uh, in um, coming into the season. So. Uh, and I'm, it, it just reminds me of 2012, obviously, uh, you know, the national championship game year, uh, how lucky the Irish were to have uh, no significant injuries on the back end. I mean, Jamora Slaughter, obviously, at safety, and Matthias Farley stepped up, but at corner, like, mm-hmm. they had no one behind those guys. Like, when Low Wood went down, people, this is just sounds ridiculous once you think about it now, when you look at how Lowood's career progressed at Notre Dame, but he was being counted on. And when he went down, everyone was freaking out and thinking that, uh, you know, that Notre Dame was screwed and that nothing nothing good was going to come of it because you were playing Bennett Jackson, who was going to be a first-time starter, who flashed a little bit, uh, you know, came in, as a, came in as a wide receiver, and then Kavari Russell, who was looked at as a running back slash slot player, who didn't even really play much uh, corner in high school. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, it worked out, and luckily both those guys stayed healthy and performed pretty well throughout that year. But, um, you know, you find that uh, you know you're not always that lucky. So, and obviously, by this situation, 
uh, you know, Notre Dame not that lucky so far this year. So that's funny you brought you brought that up because someone tweeted at our official Twitter account and asked if we had predictions from 2012. So I clicked on that old article and <laughs> the first like however many comments in that article were just, are we going to be okay without Low Wood? And it, it really does yeah. seem kind of uh, funny uh, looking back on that kind of a story. Yeah. Uh, and when you think about it, the only real play that I can recall of Low Wood during his career, obviously he transferred to uh, Miami of Ohio, is going to play under Chuck Martin now for his fifth year. But the only play that I re- remember him actually playing for Notre Dame where it stood out was when he just got torched by Robert Woods in that one USC game. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what he's remembered for and for, you know, tearing his uh, Achilles or whatever, right? So, uh, Well, he did have the uh, world's easiest pick six against Maryland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that one, too. Ball was yeah. thrown right to him. and Yeah. But, that, uh, was, uh, that was a gift. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Like you said, you if you move Shoemate, that kind of seems like you're robbing safety. You have one injury there, and all of a sudden, Drew Chankel's in the two deep. So uh, we'll see if they do anything like that. Let's let's transition to uh, we got a football game to talk about this Saturday. Um, the Rice Owls coming into town. Notre Dame hasn't played them in I think almost 25 years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'll have a preview up on the site on Thursday. Um, for those of you that don't know, that's kind of the the day that I throw up all the previews. So this is a game week for us. This is go time for our website. Um, you know, so we're going to be transitioning. We'll have all the stuff that people love, football, food, uh, Q&A with uh, the opponent, uh, eventually a film preview, a special teams previews, stuff like that. So uh, it's exciting that the season's finally here. Rice is a pretty decent opponent for a quote-unquote uh, lower-tier team, but uh, they lost some really key players, and I'll get into that in the preview, but uh, I wanted to ask you, Jamie, uh, and this is something I think fans like to talk about a lot, how important do you think is a statement blowout win to grab momentum and gain confidence for this team, especially if they are facing you know, a tough road ahead with these suspensions and other issues around the program? I think it's important uh, to gain that confidence, but it's more important so a lot of these freshmen that are going to be counted on could get their feet wet in that first game, you know, get some actual uh, experience against against a team the first time in Notre Dame Stadium. Uh, just just actual getting some some real game reps. Get that because if all of a sudden that game is closer than uh, it's supposed to be, then you know you have guys you you can't take a Jalen Smith. Off the field, you can't take, um, you know, an Austin Calls worth a Max Redfield off the field. Um, you, you're going to need some of these other guys to to play uh, throughout the year, right? So you want to get guys like uh, just in case there are injuries and stuff too, because you want to get like a guy like a Nicky Barati who missed all of last season. You want him to get back into game into game mode where he's taking reps out there. You want to get. Uh, Johnny Williams and some of these other freshmen out there actually playing and not just running down on special teams, like getting guys actual game reps in like the third quarter, the fourth quarter of the game where they're, they're not just coming in to just rush the passer because if something, you know, you know, God forbid something happens where 
some of these guys that I mentioned before get hurt, well, they're not going to be able to just rest the passion. They're going to have to play every down. So I think that's the most important thing for me is uh, getting that big lead and, and winning not only just for the confidence and, you know, making a statement, you know, to the team and to the rest of the the poll, the, the polls and all that. So, uh, you know, Notre Dame looks good without those four guys, but uh, mostly because those guys just need the experience. Yeah, that's – I like what you're saying there. I, I took a bit of a more 10,000-foot view of the whole thing, and my, my reflex was to say, you know, it's not really that important if you – blow out Rice. I mean, maybe something like a 35 to 20 win could be. It's not It's not the end of the world. Um, you know, maybe the last year's game against Temple would be a good comparison, and, you know, I thought they looked good early and kind of just coasted the rest of the way. You know, the score kind of doesn't really indicate what that game was like at all, but... Um, and then I started to think, well, you know, how many teams have we actually blown out to start the season? And I went back and looked, and kind of does seem like if Notre Dame blows out their first opponent, and obviously this isn't really something you can look at because, you know, if you're playing a pretty good Power 5 opponent to start the season, that's a lot different than playing Rice. But, you know, I look back, and there's a 40-point win against Navy in 2012. Obviously, we know how that season played out. A 35-point win against Nevada, that's kind of one of the outliers. That season didn't go that well. Um, there's a 21-point win against Pitt. I would pretty much consider that a pretty good a victory, not necessarily a huge blowout, although that game kind of did feel like a blowout. 2005 went well, they went to a major bowl. 2002, a big 22-point shutout over a good Maryland team. I think the Terps finished that season ranked. Notre Dame um, went, went out to an 8-0 start to that season. Didn't finish it well, but that was the quote-unquote return to glory season. Um, there's a 16-point win over Michigan in 98. That was a big win. That team started 9-1. and Notre Dame did, and then there's a 35-point win in 99 against Kansas. Uh, that's another outlier. Uh, that 99 team didn't do very well for Notre Dame, but you know it kind of does seem like if you really come out and play really well and look really strong and blow out kind of a, a mid-to-lower-tier tier team, that that kind of signals that this is going to be a stronger team. I wonder if, if maybe we'll see that on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think that's a... A pretty good indicator, except for a couple of those blowouts. I, I like Nevada really stands out to me as a game mm-hmm. that it was 35 nothing. I believe that was the final score, but uh, it really wasn't that big of a blowout. Right, like Nevada, they lost it on downs a couple times inside the 10 yard line. Uh, there was a couple plays where they fumbled, and it just so happened to like just you know fall right into our hands. I remember. Remember, like, Colin Kaepernick got tackled one time. It's crazy because Colin Kaepernick was their quarterback in that game. And he had this one where he had, like, it would have been, like, an 80-yard touchdown. And Brian Smith, like, got him by his shoelaces and somehow got him for a tackle for loss. So it was just one of those games where everything seemed to go right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. But uh, I think it's just more important that, more important than the score, it's important that they play well. Like, especially the especially the offense because the defense I, I'm not really expecting them to be lights out but I mean you want to see Everett Golson play well and I think that will be a big indicator uh, of the season so what what worries you most about rice or 
just this game in particular. It was the first game of the season, home opener, new field turf, new uniforms, all that stuff's going to be surrounding the team as they play on Saturday. Um, I'm not that worried about Rice. I know they won 10 games last year. I know they they lost a lot. Uh, they have you know they got a new quarterback. Um, but I mean, I look at even they, though they won 10 games last year and they won uh, Conference USA, they got blown out by Mississippi State 44 to seven in their bowl game. And Mississippi State, I, I don't care. There's like Mississippi State is not Notre Dame when it comes to just talent on the field, even with all the losses Notre Dame has and, and the youth they have. Uh, Notre Dame has more talent than Mississippi State, and they have a lot more talent than Rice. So I'm more worried about just Notre Dame and uh, how they're going to execute. I, I, you know, I want to see the offense rolling all game. I want to see Malik Zaire get in at the end of the game and get some, get some reps, game reps out there. I, I really want to see the run game uh, perform well. You want to see uh, Greg Bryant and Torian Folston gain confidence. I think you know Cam McDaniel is going to play all year. He's going to play all year, and he's going to be—he's going to give you—he's going to be reliable. He's going to give you what he's going to give you. But you want to see some f- more flashes from the other guys. And I mean, on defense, you really just want to see Andy stop the run and get some uh, pressure from their front four uh, on the quarterback. Like, yeah, you—you you know, Brian Van Gorder's defense and. Getting getting some pressure from blitzes is nice, but man, it would be great to see like Andrew Trumpetti get like a couple sacks or something, mm-hmm. you know, like just you know just to throw out a name on the defensive line or or Sheldon Day, who Brian Kelly called this week in his press conference said he's one of the best defensive linemen in America. You know, I remember he I remember they said that about Darius Fleming. They didn't say he was one of the best, but they said he was going to be a big time player for them this year and was going to make an impact as a pass rusher. And it didn't happen, so I, I you know, I want to see some of that evidence of that, uh, and you know, you want to see that promise, uh, you know, fulfilled with with a guy like Sheldon Day. Are there any other storylines you're going to be tracking this weekend as they play Rice? Um, I think that's that's pretty much it, uh, and just they take care of the ball, uh, ever, and, and all, also all those guys who are stepping in. For those players, you, you're going to watch those guys a little bit more closely because uh, you want to see how they perform. And you just you don't necessarily want to see them be lights out the whole game. I don't care if Isaac Rochelle is dominating out there, although that would be certainly be nice. But I, I want to see him play well and flash that he can do something because you know he's a he's a true sophomore. Uh, you know it would you would think that he would get better by the time they got to to Stanford, to North Carolina, to Florida State, and that the heart of the schedule. So you just want to see him perform well and, you know, he, and uh, have a good start and then get better week to week. And the same for all the other guys who are filling in for those guys. Some of the storylines I jotted down here, I wanted to see what kind of changes are going to be on offense. You know, just the usual suspects of stuff I always talk about, if they'll use up-tempo on a consistent basis. Um, you know, if they come out and they run up-tempo on that first series and they're just moving the ball, it is so jacked up. I would hope to see something like that. You know, not that they need to do that the entire game, but I want to see them, you know, maybe come out and do it for three straight series. I know we've 
we've done it here and there a little bit with Reese. I don't think we really did it a whole lot with Golson in 2012, but you know, I want to see them be able to run up tempo uh, consistently whenever they need to or whenever they want to, not just as a little wrinkle in one game of the season. Um, new faces on defense, you know, you've talked about it a little bit. I just want to see what the pecking order is. Um, you know, the pecking order might be different for Rice as it will be against Michigan, but you know, maybe that strong side linebacker, I want to see who's playing there. Um, you know, the nickel corner situation, the defensive end situation. I just wanna that's a those are big storylines, I think, if you look at individual positions. Um, for the defense, I'm concerned about confusion on defense just because it's a new coordinator and you never know what things are gonna look like. I think they'll be pretty solid in the department. Um, you know, I've never been one to really compare Van Gorder to Tenuta or anything like that, but you know, I'm really interested to see if they avoid the big play on defense. That was kind of Diaco's calling card, and it almost seems like a lot of fans have resigned themselves to the fact that Notre Dame is going to be giving up more big plays. But you know, it doesn't really necessarily have to be that way. They could just be, you know, as good at it, or even maybe even better at it. So, you know, I'm interested to see that, and then also punt return. I'm I always interested to see maybe Greg Bryant. Amir Carlisle, whoever they put back there, I, I want to see if they can be a difference maker back there. Yeah, Cody Riggs is someone, uh, too. Sorry to just jump in again on this, but uh, Cody Cody Riggs is another person that I want to watch closely. Um, just, you know, he's new to the program, and he's should be an instant impact guy. And uh, he might even get to uh, return a punt or two in the game. I heard he's in the mix for the punt returner job, so uh, he's, a, he's someone who would be interesting to watch as well. All right, I've got my preview of Rice about halfway done. Um, I haven't really gotten to the meat meat portion of it yet and predicting a score, so I can't really throw one out there. Jamie, do you want to throw a prediction out there right now on a Sunday? Yeah, I'm going to say Notre Dame 42, Rice 17. Okay. I think that's pretty close to what I was thinking. Um, I, I was wondering if, if Notre Dame was going to get it over the 40-point mark, so... Um, I think that's another storyline. You know, I think fans are like, well, we got to score 35 a, a game this year, and is it really the, the type of game you want to score 33 or 35? You want to really definitely go over that 40-point mark. Yeah, that's I, – I always – I don't know why, but I always gauge Notre Dame seasons by how often – I mean, it's nice. You know, obviously the defense was great in 2012, but, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, became a fan during the Lou Holtz era – and they used to just blow teams up, and they would score a lot of points uh, when they were really good, you know. And when they were playing Purdue, when Purdue was Purdue, uh, they would destroy them and and put forty. They put forty up almost every week, and mm-hmm. that would be kind of nice to see. Obviously, I want us to play good defense too, but uh, it would be really nice to see forty, at least forty in this this first game. And I and I think they will. All right, so that's. Our rights preview for today. We'll, we'll be back next Sunday with a review of that game. Hopefully we're all smiles and giggles and excited that we did drop 45 or 50 on Rice. So let's transition to a bit of a, a national preview. Um, lots of stuff going on around the country. I got a bunch of questions for you. This could be kind of fun. Um, if you had to pick a team not named Florida State to win the national championship, who will it be? I had a really hard time with this because I was looking at some schedules and couple conference 
a couple of teams that I like, but I don't really like their conference situation. I didn't want to pick them, so I jotted down three, and I think I'll pick one. What what were what was a team that you picked? Uh, this was a tough question for me too, because Florida State I think has probably the easiest road. There's not a ton of great teams in the and the ACC this year, or at least one that I think can really challenge them. Uh, you know, look, they have a lot of games at home this year mm-hmm. too against a lot of their tougher teams. So, I mean, Florida State is the obvious pick for those. But for not named Florida State, uh, Alabama, they they have to be in there every year. Um, you know, if they get their quarterback situation sorted out, um, they're loaded. There's there's so much talent uh, throughout the entire roster. Um, their backs are just so friggin' good. And then the fact that they lost the two games in a row at the end of last season, and the last time that that happened for them, uh, they won the national title the next year, right? So, uh, and they got they got blown out, in the, and they also got blown out in the Sugar Bowl that year by Utah. Same similar last year they, with Oklahoma. So, I think they're going to be plenty motivated. I think they're going to be really good. Obviously, the SEC schedule is always tough, but uh, Alabama. They, they just have more talent than everybody else. And, um, you know, the other one that really, that if I had to pick one, I would pick them over Alabama is Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a tough road too. The Pac-12 is also very, very tough this year. Uh, specifically the Pac-12 North, which they play in, is, is really tough. But I think Marcus Mariota is the best quarterback in the country. I think he's special. Uh, I would take him over Jameis Winston. I would take him over anyone um, playing quarterback in college football right now. I think if he, he's healthy, uh, which he wasn't for the stretch last year, I think Oregon's – I think they're they're really, really good. And I think once they get in that playoff too, uh, I mean, it's a different – it's a different kind of offense than a lot of people are used to seeing. So if they, if they get the right matchups, I think they're going to win. And I think Marcus Mariota can – uh, can put them over the top if they if they get to that point. So now I was looking at this, and you know, there's a couple ways you can look at it, and this is the first way is the way I kind of went about choosing my team, and that was kind of looking at your regular season schedule, how strong your conference is, and are you going to make it out of that that gauntlet with you know one or zero losses? And I basically stayed away from the SEC. I don't. I mean, I obviously could see Alabama doing it. You know, you kind of think that a lot of those SEC West teams are going to beat up on each other. You know, I, I would kind of like to pick LSU, but can they beat Alabama? Are they going to be able to get past a couple other teams in that division? Um, I put Oregon down on my list as one of my three picks, but that Pac-12 is so hard. And, of course, they'll have a championship game. So, you know, I went with a couple Big 12 teams just because I think they're going to have the easiest route if one of those teams kind of emerges as like a national power and proves themselves to be elite, you know, they don't have a, the championship game. So I think that might make things a little bit easier. But on the other hand, you know, I don't necessarily think I would like a matchup of a Big 12 team against, you know, Oregon or Alabama or LSU in like that semifinal game. But so I think that's kind of tough for those Big 12 teams. But I, I went with Oklahoma and Baylor. I think I would pick Oklahoma. I think if uh, their quarterback can stay healthy and he's the real deal, I think they have a pretty pretty easy road to, you know, if not a 12-0 and season, an 11-1 and season where they can sneak into the playoff and then maybe, 
you know, pull off a couple big wins. But I'm excited to see how this all plays out. I'm really excited for the playoff and then, and then the season in general. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited to see. I mean, it's not going to be fun for that fifth team that gets left out. But, um, I, I mean, I love all the talk of when it gets close and who should be in and who should be out. And I already can't wait till it goes to eight teams. Yeah. Uh, and you can really, uh, you know, there's going to be more two-loss teams in there. And uh, who knows, maybe even a two-loss team will get in uh, this year. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, I mean, I love college football in general, just all of it. So, I, I mean, I'll... I'm very, very excited to see how it all plays out because there's, other than Florida State, I, I wouldn't say, I couldn't name uh, the other three teams that are definitely going to be there, but I, I mean, Florida State, I just can't see them not making it because even if they get one loss, they're going to be in it. Right. Okay. Now, there's quite a bit of a long list for Heisman uh, Trophy guys on, that think they could win. Um, I'm pulling up the odds right now. And uh, um, on top of that list is obviously Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston looking to, to repeat. Uh, Braxton Miller was third. These odds are, I think, a couple months old maybe. But uh, Braxton Miller's hurt, so he's out. You know, Bryce Petty, Brett Hundley, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin, Nick Marshall. This is kind of the top of the, the odds here. I think you could pick anyone maybe after that as your dark horse, but who, who are you going to pick as your dark horse? Heisman candidate for this season. I kind of cheated. I took two um, okay. <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of one. But uh, uh, my first one uh, is LSU running back freshman Leonard Fournette. Now you stole mine. Um, yeah, he has just been getting. Cr- I mean, I don't even know if he's a dark horse because he's been getting just crazy hype. You know, anytime anyone gets compared to Adrian Peterson, uh, you know that's the guy's a stud. He's an absolute. Uh, stud, but the the one thing I guess you would hold against them is that they have a ton of talent in the backfield there already, and they do every year. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tough for him to get as many carries needed to do it. But I mean, at the same time, the cream rises to the top, and if he's the best guy, they're just going to keep feeding him the ball. And I think I think he's going to be special. Um, and my other one, this one is a real dark horse, and I'm not sure that Notre Dame fans would be happy with it, but it's Cody Kessler mm. from okay. USC. And the only reason is because, I mean, I know that they have depth issues, but Cody Kessler played really, really well. The Notre Dame game was standing. He played really, really well in the second half of last year. Uh, I think he's going to go to, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is very... Uh, very good coach, very good offensive coach. They have a ton of talent uh, on offense, uh, you know, specifically at running back, but they got, you know, Nelson Aguilar, a receiver, and they always have good receivers every year. And I think that it's just USC is just a school that if you do well, and they're the kind of team if they do better than expected. So imagine that they go 10-2 and two and he, Kessler has a lights-out year, and then yeah. they upset Oregon or Stanford or whoever in the Pac-12 championship game, and he has like a 400-yard game and you know gets the winning thing. That's the kind of thing that all of a sudden he could be in the mix if if uh, you know a Winston doesn't really have if he has the same kind of year as last year. I don't think Winston's going to win, you know, or uh, or if that's Mariota, who's his main competition, and he beats him out there. That's 
a big thing. So Cody Kessler is my dark, dark horse pick that could maybe do it. I mean, obviously, things have to roll right for USC, but, I mean, they have the talent to do it. Like, they're loaded with five stars. They just don't have a ton of scholarship numbers behind it. Yeah, I looked at this list. It's from August 5th. This is uh, odds from Bovada, and I didn't think Fournette was on it originally, but I do see he's he's here at the bottom. I'm a 66-to-1 favorite. Um, just a couple spots ahead at 50-to-1 is Cody Kessler, so you've got both guys on the list. Uh, I think, you know, the Heisman too often goes hand-in-hand hand with a team that's just lights out good. Not to say that your scenario that you just played out with a 10 and 2, 11 and 2 type of a USC team, you know, Kessler could totally win it with 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 a with big season statistically. But you know, there's a bunch of other guys I like, but I'm not sure if their teams are going to be good. Christian Hackenberg at Penn State, I think he's going to have a big year. Um, I don't necessarily think Penn State's going to be, you know, 10 or 11 wins, but I think he's going to be carrying that offense and throwing the ball a lot. Duke Johnson at Miami, I've loved him for a couple of years if he can stay healthy. But again, not sure Miami's going to be all that great. So, uh, you know, this is a pretty good season. I think, you know, Petty has a pretty good shot to uh, put up some bonkers numbers this year and maybe overshadow Winston and Marietta a little bit. So we'll see. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, Petty is definitely someone that I wouldn't even consider him a dark horse because I think if they if they win the Big 12 again, He's gonna he's gonna get invited to New York and be one of those guys. I like it would be pretty shocking if he wasn't. Right. All right. This next question is pretty fun. We talked a little bit about this before we went on air. I want you to predict three coaches who you think will be fired following the 2014 season. And um, you know, before we get into this, as we were talking about, there are so many new coaches in the country right now that it's almost ridiculous. Um, I'm looking at the wiki page for all the coaches across the country, and you know I'll just go down the list. It won't even take that long of guys that have been at their school prior to 2010. Um, June Jones, MS, MSU, 2008. Uh, George O'Leary, 2004, US, UCF. Um, let's see here. Uh, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, Cutliffe at Duke. Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. You know, and it's not like these guys have been around that long. Those guys are 2008. Uh, Frank Beamer, the longest tenured coach in the country, 1987. Art Bryles, Paul Rhodes, Bob Stoops. I mean, we're almost halfway through the country already. Uh, Mike Gundy, Gary Patterson, Kirk Ferentz, D'Antonio at Michigan State. Bo Polini, Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, I'm just skipping over tons and tons of guys. Rick Stockstill at uh, MTSU. David Balif, Bobby Wilder. I don't even know who that is. That's Old Dominion, so kind of a new team. Um, Mendenhall at BYU. Uh, Ken Ann at, at Navy. Let's see here. Might have missed a couple. Solich at Ohio. I wonder if he's ever going to leave there. He's He's been there quite a while, 2005. Troy Calhoun at Air Force. I almost put him on the list. I could kind of see some grumbling if they don't have a decent season. And, you know, that's pretty much it. Kyle Winningham at Utah. I'm going to talk about him in a second. Uh, Nick Saban. Les Miles. 
Dan Mullen, Gary Pinkle, Steve Spurrier, and Joey Jones at South Alabama, and Larry Blankney at Troy, and that's it. I mean, there's how many teams now? 130 or something? So, three coaches. Who do you think is going to get fired? I kind of, I wanted to stay away from coaches who have only been there like one, two, three years, but it's really hard. So, yeah, I think it's really hard to do that. Um, this was incredibly hard for me to do. Uh, and actually, I thought of a better third one than my previous third one while you were listing all those coaches. But um, my three uh, were Kyle Flood at Rutgers. Yep, I got him. Uh, I mean, Rutgers, you know, joining a new conference, uh, if they struggle this year, they don't make a bowl game, which I'm almost positive they're not going to make a bowl game. I think they're going to really struggle in the Big Ten. And I, I think he's there's a good chance he's not going to have a job. And they're going to want to bring in somebody else, maybe even bring back Greg Schiano, uh and try to, like, I mean, Jersey is loaded with talent, high school football talent every year, and Rutgers doesn't land a lot of those guys. So they need to get somebody in there that can kind of help establish them in uh, the Big Ten. So I, I think Kyle Flood, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, he's definitely on the hot seat. Um, Mike London from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Got him. Don't know how he was able to keep his job, other than the fact that he had two big-time five-star recruits that were committed to him, uh, that were, you know, committed to him and and the school. And I think that's basically what saved his job. Uh, I look at the ACC this year. Virginia's going to be near the bottom again. They don't have a ton of talent. I know they just got those two five-star kids, but they're not loaded at all. Uh, I think you're going to struggle in the ACC. Uh, I would imagine, you know, four wins or something like that, and I, I don't think I don't think he'll keep his job. Uh, and then the third, before I previously had Charlie Weiss on here. Mm. And wow, major buyout. Yeah, that was the that was the thing that was keeping me him. He was the kind of question mark on the list, big time buyout. Uh, but I mean, they've just been atrocious. And if they're atrocious again and don't show enough improvement then I could see something happening there. But, uh, you know, as I was saying, you were going through that list, and then I thought of someone, and Al Golden mm. is going to be my pick. Wow, and okay. Not that Al Golden, I, I think, obviously got dealt a bad hand when he went to Miami with the sanctions and everything that's going on. But the, the thing with Al Golden and... I certainly don't think he deserves to get fired because he stuck it through with all these, uh, you know, all the things that were going on at Miami. But their quarterback situation is atrocious. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. I mean, Jay keeps, he can't start at Kansas and he's the likely starter at quarterback in Miami. Like there's just no way that's insane. And obviously they had another quarterback who tore his ACL uh, in the spring. Uh, or it was, I can't remember if spring or summer workouts, but he was the guy who was set to start. Uh, but, I mean, that's that's big problems. And they have talent on that team, but not the kind of talent that 
can match with a Florida State. And I think they're going to get blown out by teams like Florida State again. The ACC is a much improved conference. I I wouldn't be surprised if Miami... I mean, wouldn't surprise me if Miami won 10 games. It wouldn't surprise me if Miami won 6 games. And... Mm-hmm. I think he's someone who's fiercely loyal to his assistants. They've kept that same defensive coordinator, um, Genofrio, I believe, who's really struggled. And I know a lot of the kind of the famous uh, alums that went to the U, like uh, Warren Sapp and uh, Michael Irvin, and all these guys have spoke out about how they need to get rid of the defense coordinator, and they haven't. And if if they struggle. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't believe it's a fair hand, but I think he would be on my list as a maybe. Uh, the other two are the other. I mean, I'm almost gonna lock it in that those guys are gonna be in tough to keep their jobs. What about? I briefly kind of looked at El Golden myself, but it seems like he's doing a pretty good job of recruiting. Do you think that's gonna keep keep him around in Coral Gables? Uh, I think that helps. But just as, as I, I watched last night, uh, there was a game on ESPNU, Oscar Smith, uh, which is a school in Virginia, against Booker T. Washington, which was the number one team in the, in the nation last year in high school football. And they're currently ranked 11th. And Booker T. Washington is loaded. They're loaded. Uh, the the co- head coach from there, his father was the head coach at Booker T. Washington and now is on the University of Miami staff. And with that guy around there, because he has all the connections uh, into the, the Miami-Dade County high schools, whoever goes there, it's just a loaded area. So they'll just be able to recruit well if they get in. I, I don't think Al Golden's done enough that they're going there because of Al Golden. I think they're going there because it's Miami and, and the work of the assistant coaches – and I'm sure Ice Harris is the name of the the former Booker T. Washington coach. If he's still there, I think they will still likely recruit pretty well. And he, I, I imagine he'll still be on the staff no matter who's the head coach. I think they'll they'll still do well. But they have a ton of 2016, not to get really nerdy with recruiting here, but they have a ton <laughs> of big-time 2016 recruits uh, already committed to them too. So, um, you know, I, I think... Yeah, it it depends, but they might see it as that, or they might see it as if they brought in the right guy that, uh, you know, he'll just he'll recruit better than Golden. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time Miami had a top five recruiting class? Kind of seems like it's been a while. Maybe Butch Davis or Larry Coker. I think it's been a while. maybe maybe Randy Shannon might have had one year of that, but uh, not that I can remember. Well, it is interesting because Al Golden, you know, maybe we're taking too much time on Al Golden, but Miami's a bit of an interesting team. They went 9-4 and four last year. Maybe that's the quietest 9-4 and four they could ever have. I just pulled up their schedule, and I don't know. It, this, this is a pretty tough whole road for them. They got Louisville on the road to start the season. That's a Monday. Um, you know, Louisville kicked the crap out of them, I think, to finish the season last year. They did uh, in the bowl game, yeah. Yeah, they traveled to Nebraska on a Saturday night in week four. I mean, that that could be kind of a defining game maybe for Miami. Maybe you win that, you kind of like turn things around and you win ten games, but, you know, Nebraska's always a tough place to play. A night game there, the road game at Georgia Tech. They got Cincinnati, that's a 
kind of a out of conference game that could be pretty tough with Gunnar Keel slinging the ball over the place. Um, at Virginia Tech, they have North Carolina, Florida State. I mean, it's not going to be easy for them to win nine or ten games at all. At Virginia Tech, that's a game that it seems like Miami has lost for a lot. Like they, whenever they go to Virginia Tech, it seems like it's been a long time since they won at Virginia Tech. Maybe they won two years ago, but at like in my mind, I <laughs> when I think of Miami going to Virginia Tech, I always think, hey, Miami has way more talent than Virginia Tech, and then they get killed by Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. Okay, so my list of player uh, are of coaches. Sorry, um, I had. Mike London as well, the original doing good things coach. Um, like you, I think he's pretty much a lock to get fired. Kyle Flood, and I based this off of kind of previewing Rutgers for the bowl game and reading a lot of stuff from Rutgers fans, and he is not well-liked at all. So, um, you know, they won nine games his first year. This is his third year, but I kind of based, you know, I put him on the list based off the fact that I don't think anyone likes him, and the recruiting's not going well, like you said. So, um, the other coaches that I thought of, the first one is Willie Taggart at South Florida. I think he's only going into his second year. It was just a brutal first year. I don't know. I think he's got a lot of hype and uh, not a whole lot of substance there. And uh, I could see them giving him the axe after two years. Um, Dan Enos was another guy. I just kind of looked at his profile, and I knew that Central Michigan had kind of fallen apart recently. Um, I don't know how he lasts all that much longer unless they have a big turnaround. Uh, he's 19-30 and 30 in his career. He's been there since 2010, so this is going to be his fifth year. 7-6, um, 6-6 and six, six and six the past couple of years. You know, this, you know, Brian Kelly's been through there and done really well. It's been a pretty good program the past 15 to 20 years, and he's another guy I think that might get the axe. Then the last guy, as I said, when I was counting down all those other coaches, was Kyle Whittingham at Utah, a guy I personally really like. Um, not really sure why I like him. I just personality-wise, I, I like a lot what he brings to the table. But he's been at Utah forever. Uh, he's been there since 2005. Um, he coached their bowl game in 2004, but. You know, been there a long time. He's struggled a lot in the Pac-12. I could see the, the the fans there getting restless and their administration getting restless. Um, five and seven the past two years. You know, only five games won in the in the Pac-12. So uh, th those are my coaches. I think that I would put on my list. The one guy that stands out is that that I would disagree with you is Whittingham, uh, and I understand what where you're coming from with that. But the fact that I know he, he's been an assistant at Utah for a long time uh, where he was the defensive coordinator. He was a defensive coordinator under Ron McBride, and I think he was before that the linebacker coach. 94, uh, says. Yeah, like he's been there a long time. Uh, I think he's pretty entrenched and pretty yeah. comfortable there. And also I think with Utah they um, – they're pretty comfortable with keeping a guy that they think isn't going to leave right. for anywhere else. So, uh, I mean, they could go 2-10 and 10 and whatever, right? But uh, I don't think they will because I think he's a pretty good coach. And I think that – but, yeah, I could see maybe a couple more years of 5-7 mm -hmm. and seven type years in the Pac-12, and they could start looking for someone else. But 
yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening this year. But, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a really tough year to pick someone out, I think. Yeah, it's really hard to get a power conference coach there. and I think I would agree with you. I mean, he it really hasn't been, like, Colorado bad for them. No. He had, he had such a good start to his career. 7-5 bowl win, 8-5 bowl win, 9-4 bowl win. Undefeated, Sugar Bowl win, 10-3 bowl win, 10-3, 8-5. With only those five win seasons the past two years, so... I think you convinced me, but I had to pick somebody. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, next question here uh, as we get wrapping up this national preview. Does Ohio State win the Big Ten with Braxton Miller out for the season with his shoulder injury? No. That's just my simple answer, no. I don't think they will. I mean, they, they still have a ton of talent, but I think they're in the same division as Michigan State. I think Michigan State is better than them uh, without Braxton Miller uh, in their lineup. If Braxton Miller was there, I would probably would have picked Ohio State, even though they lost last year uh, to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game. But I think Michigan State is a better team than them uh, without Braxton Miller. And obviously we'll see with uh, JT Barrett, who's his replacement right now. We'll see how good he is. But he better be pretty good to beat that Michigan State defense. Yeah, and when I was doing uh, those series of articles looking at the Notre Dame offense and kind of comparing it to the national championships, and I talked about Urban Meyer a lot, and you know his past, well, pretty much his whole head coaching career history suggests if he doesn't have like a good quarterback or like a veteran quarterback or a quarterback that's really proven to be really well, his teams aren't very good. So, um, you know, their schedule is fairly easy, although. They start out at Navy and then Virginia Tech, and they also have Cincinnati uh, among their first four games. So it's not super easy, but they're in the Big Ten. So, um, but yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think they're going to win it, but you know, I want to say Michigan State like you, but oh, God, if like for example, if Michigan State's defense takes like a little bit of a step back, and maybe Connor Cook really isn't that great, I don't know. I could see Ohio State still getting in there, but. Uh, yeah, I'm saying no as well. Yeah, I think uh, – and if I, if I had to pick who is going to win the Big Ten without it, because I think Michigan State will beat them and win that division, but mm-hmm. I actually think Wisconsin is going mm-hmm. to win the the Big Ten outright. Like they'll win in the uh, – they're on the other side of the conference and uh, we'll have to play Michigan State or whoever wins that division in the championship game. And I, I think Wisconsin would probably be my pick. All right, who's going to have more wins in 2014, Chuck Martin or Bob Diaco? This is a really fun one. Uh, uh, UConn's schedule is mm-hmm. pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. I don't think that Bob Diaco and their team is brutal, too. Yeah. I don't think they're going to win more than three games. I was looking at the schedule, and I was just look Even the maybes, I don't see them winning those games. Right, they're, they're they're in a tough spot. Uh, obviously, you know Miami of Ohio has been terrible, but Chuck Martin, he's way more prepared to be a head coach. Uh, I think he's brought a pretty decent staff there. Uh, I think they have some decent transfers there. Although, I mean, some Notre Dame fans might argue having Andrew Hendricks as your starting quarterback might be a little iffy, but. Uh, mm. I think he'll probably do pretty well there, and 
I think they'll probably win four or five games uh, at Miami of Ohio, and I don't think UConn's going to sniff that in year one under Bob Diaco. I think that's a big rebuilding project that he's going to have to go through, and they play a, a pretty tough schedule. Yeah, UConn has Stony Brook. Um, I mean, that's really the only I mean, Army maybe. Army hasn't been that good. But, I mean, those are maybe two wins right there. But other than that, BYU, Boise State, maybe South Florida, maybe Temple, maybe Tulane. That's kind of a three-game stretch there that you think they got to get at least one win, maybe two wins. But, I mean, the rest of their schedule, I don't think they're going to win any of these games. East Carolina, uh, Central Florida, Cincinnati, Memphis is kind of a underrated, solid team. And then they finish up with SMU. So two, three wins maybe there. I would agree with you on that. And, um, you know, Miami of Ohio was awful last year. Chuck Martin does have a pretty sizable rebuilding effort to go to do there, but uh, you know, just looking at their schedule, you know, it's the MAC. You know, sometimes you have a couple really good teams in the MAC, but you know, I think, like you said, they could probably eke out four or five wins out of that schedule. Um, Eastern Kentucky's on there. They do play Michigan and Marshall and Cincinnati, but. Uh, you know, UMass is on their schedule. Kent State, Western Michigan, Central Michigan. You know, there's probably four or five wins on that schedule if they can turn it around. And Andrew Hendricks doesn't do uh, things that we saw in 2013. So I'm going with Chuck Martin as well. Next question, as uh, we reach almost an hour on this podcast, um, Oklahoma or the field in the Big 12? Who's winning that conference? Oklahoma. I. Don't think I mean Baylor's the the other uh, the other team that I could see beating them, but I just I really like their quarterback. Uh, I think Trevor Knight's a really good player. Uh, I think they have they have the most talent, and I think they're I mean Bob Stoops in the Big Twelve pretty consistent. They're they're in it every year, and I think he's got a good team this year. Yeah, I I would say Oklahoma too. Obviously, I kind of picked them to be the one team that might win the national championship outside of Florida State. Um, I do, I, you know, I was listening to the Solid Verbal vo- podcast, and they were kind of saying how you don't want to read too much into just one game, and it kind of feels like that was the case during this offseason with Oklahoma. You know, the major props for really laying on Alabama and, and taking them to the woodshed, but, you know, I, I just the quarterback has been such... I don't know. It's not that he's not unproven, but I need to see more from him. But you know, I'm looking at their schedule, and you know, like I said, picking a national title contender, and they got a pretty easy uh, schedule ahead. Louisiana Tech, Tulsa, Tennessee is their one big out of conference game. Um, they have that at home. It's a night game. Oklahoma typically wins that game, although. A certain team from South Bend did go in there and uh, that is true. Yeah, pull one out there a couple of years ago. But I mean, Bob Stoops' record at home is still ridiculous. So, you know, they travel at West Virginia and they go to TCU. They should take care of business there. Texas, they're going to be looking for payback. Who knows what the Longhorns are going to look like? K State will be pretty solid. But you know, the last four games, it's just really Baylor there. Um, Iowa State's probably not going to be that great. Kansas, obviously. Oklahoma State's probably not going to be that good this year, and then there's Texas Tech. So, yeah, you know, I like Oklahoma to go, you know, 11 and one, and maybe possibly 12 and 0, win that conference too. 
yeah, they would be a pick for me to uh, to make the Final Four. All right. How many Pac-12 teams will finish the year ranked? It's a really I good said, conference. Yeah, it's a really good conference this year. I said six. Whoa, um, okay. Yeah, I said six. I think the Pac-12 is better than the SEC overall this year. And maybe teams will beat other teams so they won't have good enough records. Mm-hmm. They'll all make it, but I think UCLA, USC, Oregon, Stanford, uh, Washington, and Arizona State are all mm. going to be ranked. Okay, you put Washington in there. I debated putting them in there, and I didn't, but they're ranked to start the season. Yes, I really like Washington, and I will get to that later in one of the other questions that you have. <laughs> all right. Um, I put four just because I think, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to get that SEC type of, uh, you know, SEC kind of gets the the benefit of the doubt when they beat up on each other. So um, I really think, like I said, Pac-12 is a great conference, really deep, but I think they're going to beat up on each other, so you won't see as many as six. I put Oregon, Stanford, UCLA, and then either USC or ASU. I'm not putting both of them in. Well, kind of depend on what they do when they play each other. So that's what I'm saying for the Pac-12. So, last two questions before we get out of here. Name three teams that you're buying stock in this fall, um, just for this season. Not necessarily like long term, but for 2014. For just this season, uh, Washington is, you know, as I mentioned before, Washington. I'm buying stock into them. Mm. I really like Chris Peterson. I think is a heck of a coach. Uh, they got. They have a lot of talent left over that Steve Sarkeesian recruited there. Uh, they have a really good defense, uh, a lot, or at least a lot of talent on defense. They have some questions at quarterback, but I think Peterson has always done a good job with quarterbacks at uh, Boise State. Uh, they have some talent on the roster at quarterback, so it's just a question of them putting it all together. And I just, you know, I'm from the Pacific Northwest originally, so I follow them. Uh, a little bit, not as closely as I do Notre Dame, but I follow uh, University of Washington pretty closely. And there's a lot of positive talk out of there, and I think they got really good talent. And I think I think they're going to surprise some teams, and I think they're going to beat uh, at least one or two teams in the Pac-12 that uh, they're not predicted to beat this okay. year. I think they're going to have a pretty good year. Um, my other two are Virginia Tech and LSU. Uh, LSU, I mean, they lost quarterback. They lost two big-time receivers. They lost Jeremy Hill, uh, you know, picked in the second-round running back. Uh, You know, they lose talent every year, but they're loaded. They're just loaded. And, like, we already talked about Leonard Fournette. He's going to be in there. They already have a ton of other backs. You know, they're going to have a young quarterback, so I I understand that part about, about... you know, the questions that they'll have this year, but I just, I really think LSU is going to be uh, a 10-win team this year. I don't think they're, uh, you know, going to be in that playoff mix, but I think they're going to be just out of it. Uh, and if, en- if enough guys stay in school uh, for the next year, I think they got a lot of really good young talent, and I think they're going to be very, very good uh, this year and even better next year. And, and the other team is Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech, I know it's, I think their stock is really low right now in terms of 
the Frank Beamer era. Yeah. And teams, no one, they aren't really seen as uh, uh, a hot team, but they're going to have a good defense. They have a good defense every year. You know, Bud Foster is a heck of a coordinator. Uh, you know they're going to be solid on special teams like they are every year. Uh, Texas Tech quarterback uh, transfer, Michael Brewer, was just named their starting quarterback. Uh, I think, you know, not talent-wise, but I think in terms of just decision-making, he's an upgrade on Logan Thomas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know what, I think their backs are against the wall. I think they have a really good coaching staff. And, you know, I do some work for uh, Virginia Tech's uh, 24-7 sports site, um, uh, VT Scoop, and uh, follow along there and just kind of gotten to know the program a little bit more through that more closely. And they just do a great job of developing players there. And I think they're going to be really competitive in the ACC and they're gonna beat. They're gonna beat a couple teams that you wouldn't expect them to beat, and, and I, I think now that Braxton Miller is gone from Ohio State, too, they have a chance to win that Ohio State game. So, uh, you know what? Screw it. I'll just say it. They're gonna beat Ohio State. <laughs> so I'll, that's my prediction. Virginia Tech. I'm buying stock in Virginia Tech. Okay, my three teams. And this first one, I really, 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 really didn't want to put on there, but I'm gonna say UCLA. Um, I'm not a big fan of Bruins. I don't like Jim Mora. Um, I think that's kind of obvious for um, coming from a Notre Dame fan. But I think Brett Hundley's a really great quarterback. He might not be Marcus Mariota, um, but I, it's undeniable that, I, that that they're doing a lot of good things at UCLA. They got a tough schedule. Um, I, I think they finished the year with like three really tough-ranked opponents. And um, But I still think they're going to win like 10 games. I don't know if that will get them into the uh, – Pac-12 championship. We'll see how the cookie crumbles with that, but I'm buying stock in UCLA to have a good season, possibly a great season, and we'll see if Jim Morris stays around. Um, Kansas State is another team I picked. I had a hard time picking uh, the last two here, but I, I wanted to look at teams that maybe the door's open for them to win the win their conference or maybe su- surprise some people, and Kansas State's kind of in that 23 to 22, 21 range for a ranked team, and I like what they have at quarterback. They have that really great wide receiver. Um, they always bring in good Jucos. I think they brought in another really great Juco class. So I think they can maybe, you know, be like the third or fourth best team in the Big 12 and maybe surprise some folks and end up pushing for that conference title. The third team I picked is Michigan State, just based off of the fact that Ohio State's probably taking a step back without Miller. So, um, you know, kind of hard to repeat what Michigan State did last year, and maybe now that I think about it deep, more deeply, they're not going to do that again, but they should be right there atop, you know, the one top one or two teams in the Big the Big Ten. So, um, those are my three teams. Now, who are the three teams you're selling stock in this fall? Uh, the first one is Stanford. Okay. Uh, I, I like Stanford. I think they're still going to be good. I know people say they've they've lost some people on their coaching staff. You know, they lost their defense coordinator, Derek Mason. Um, but they still got a lot of really good coaches there. And I think they'll I think they'll be good, but not as good as they have been. Like going to a BCS bowl good. Uh, I don't think they're gonna get ten wins this year. Uh, I don't think Kevin Hogan's that good of a quarterback. 
unless he makes a huge jump this year. But I, I mean, I got some. I think he has major questions with his arm and his decision making. And I mean, they're going to run the ball well, but I just question how good they can be. They're not going to be as good on defense. You know, not having Shane Scove, who was the leader of the defense, and Trent Murphy. Uh, an outstanding pass rusher. I just don't think they're going to be as good. I think it'll be good, just not as good. So I would sell stock in them. Louisville is a team that, as the season gets closer, uh, I'm liking them less and less. I think Bobby Petrino is a gong show. Uh, you know, there was that Sports Illustrated uh, um, article that came out last week with uh, Pete Thamel and Farrah Evans reporting that... Uh, He's already having problems uh, with her defensive coordinator, who the uh, former defense coordinator from Georgia, whose name escapes me right now. But Grantham, Grantham, Todd Grantham, and they're already feuding, and mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of bad vibes coming out of that program. And I, I remember him going to Arkansas as well in his first year at Arkansas and really struggling. And the second year, he did a lot better. So. I, I don't think Louisville – and then uh, their their top wide receiver, uh, Devontae Parker, he's uh, possibly out for a significant portion of the season with a foot injury. So, yeah, my stock – get rid of your stock on Louisville. And then Michigan is the other one, which I just really, really enjoy selling stock, <laughs> Michigan stock. Uh, I – don't think they're going to be that good. Again, I think their O-line uh, is, again, not going to be very good. Um, they're starting a true freshman at left tackle. And I don't care, you know, who the you have at, as a true freshman. That's just never a good thing. And I'm sure that guy is going to be a very, very good player. But he's not going to be that good. I, and I only wish Notre Dame had a better defensive line to take advantage of that, but I, I don't think they're going to be good against on the offensive line again. Um, I don't think they have... I know Devin Funches is a, is a very good player, but considering that he's he is really a tight end and they're moving him out to receiver because they don't really have those guys at receiver, that's a, bi- that's a big deal to me. And then uh, on defense too, like... I know, you know, they love Jake Ryan there, and I think he's just one of those... I think he's an overrated player. I think he's a solid player, but an overrated player. And uh, Jabril Peppers is obviously very exciting for their future, but I just don't think they're going to be... They, they have a pretty decent secondary. That's the one thing, but I just... I, I really don't think Michigan is... You know, they're not going to be uh, as good as Ohio State. I think you're going to lose at Ohio State again. I think Michigan State's going to beat them again. Uh, I think they're going to be maybe like a 7-8 win team. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, and I, I think that Brady Hoke will keep his job, but uh, I don't think they're going in a good direction right now, even though they brought in a pretty good offense coordinator in Doug Mossmeyer. Okay, so who are your three teams then? you got Michigan? Michigan, Stanford, and Louisville. Stanford. Okay, I couldn't remember the third team. Okay. I like those picks as well. Um, I got two teams in the SEC that I'm picking. The first one, Texas A&M. Uh, pretty tough schedule. You know, 
their coach is another one of those coaches who, when he doesn't have like a really good quarterback, he tends to not have a very good offense. Even though he's known as like an offensive wizard, um, I I believe Kyle Allen is projected to start for them if I'm not wrong. So that's a true freshman quarterback. Oh, he's awesome. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh, you. is it? Yeah, Kenny so Hill. Well, okay. he's a retro freshman, but okay. So still a young quarterback. Uh, tough schedule. You know, their defense was abysmal last year. Just really, really, really bad. They've recruited lights out. I don't know if all that young talent is really ready to like turn things around on defense. But you know, they kick off the season on Thursday at South Carolina. If they can win that game, then you know, I'd be kind of kicking myself for selling their stock right now. But you know, they also have Rice and SMU. Not you know, if you have a terrible defense, those aren't easy games. Uh, you know, and then there's the rest of the SEC slate is going to be pretty brutal for them. They travel to Alabama, they travel to Auburn, they finish with LSU. Missouri's thrown in there. I mean, just I'm selling stock. There's no way they're going to be uh, as potent on offense. And with the way we've what we've seen out of their defense, uh, not very positive. But recruiting is going well, and we'll see how their uh, the final, the season plays out for them. But I'm selling their stock. The other team that I'm selling, again in the in the SEC, that's Missouri. Just based on the fact that I'm not sure that the type of program that can, you know, they're not going to match what they did last year, but I don't think they can really come back with, like, another 10 or 11 wins. Um, they're in the SEC. They lost some really good players. Uh, Matty Mox, they're pretty good quarterback. Uh, Would have been nice to have him at Notre Dame now, but, you know, I think their road's a little bit easier than a Texas A&M because they're in their other, other division. They play Central Florida, Indiana, Indiana out of conference. Uh, you know, those could be offensive shootouts there. Who knows which way they'll fall in those games. But then, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Vanderbilt might be okay. Texas A&M's on the schedule, Tennessee. So uh, I'm selling Missouri. I think they'll have a down year based off, off of what they did last year. And my last team is Clemson. I, I really didn't want to put them on there because I think their defense is going to be really good. and They're probably going to win, like, at least nine games, maybe. I didn't really look at their schedule, but I mean, their offense is in major rebuild mode. They got a good offensive coordinator, but I believe their starting running back just went down with a season-ending injury. They're breaking in a new quarterback. Lost Sammy Watkins. Uh, you know, there's a couple other really good players that left two years ago. So there's like a huge rebuilding mode for Clemson right now in offense, and uh, I'm not sure they're really going to be as good as they have in the past. So those are my three teams. Mm, that's really interesting. I think uh, that Clemson pick, I think, is actually a pretty good one. Just They're just not going to be as good. I think they've recruited well, and I think, yeah, their defense is going to be good. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, solid pick. And uh, the Missouri one, I yeah, they're not going to be as good, although I really like Matty Mock as well. And who's the third one again? Sorry. Texas A&M. A&M, yes. I thought about putting them on my list. I think their uh, defense is going to be not good again. They're going to they're going they're going to struggle. There's no way they're going to be as good on offense like you said. Uh, although I mean the recruiting class they're putting together for 2015 is phenomenal, and they're, they're going to have plenty of talent coming in. But uh, um, yeah, they're not going to be as as good as they were without uh, Johnny Football. That's for sure. All right, this was a nice, long, thorough podcast. We uh, talked 
talked a lot about uh, some really good stuff. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? No, I think we talked about everything. We did, I think. Yeah, it was a good one. All right, we got Rice coming up on Saturday, 3.30 Eastern, NBC. Um, as usual, we'll have our open thread on our site, so if you, any fans of our uh, website want to follow along with the game and discuss things and not get too crazy and too grumpy, um, come in our open thread. We'll probably open that up at about 12, so we can start talking about the first games on Saturday, those noon games, all those wonderful Big Ten games. Um, that's Jamie. I'm Eric. We'll see you next week with our Rice review, and uh, welcome to the college football season again. We'll see you later. Look forward to it. All right. Bye-bye.